Can you think of a time in your life when you've been um, maybe being trained to do something or were learning to do something, and there's this moment when you finally get to like do the thing that you've been training to do on your own for the first time? There's like this hinge moment where uh, you, you move from learning something to being in charge of something when you, when you finally first take full responsibility for it. Um, the, the, I, I've, I think I've experienced this a, a couple of times in my life, and the first one, I was trying to think, like, what is the earliest memory I have where I experienced something like this? And this may sound silly, but the first time I can think of, of having one of these hinge moments is mowing the lawn. Um, I love mowing the lawn now, but in my house growing up, <laughs> mowing the lawn was like a privilege, <laughs> which the more I've thought about it is just really smart on my parents' part. The fact that they made like this chore, something that like, we weren't allowed to do it until we were like 10, which is probably just practical. If you have boys and machinery, you wait until they're 10. That sounds too young. Uh, anyway, they were smart to make it this like fun thing that we had to grow into, but my dad had to teach me how to do it. He had to teach me how to use a lawnmower, how to use it safely, how to use, put gas into it, how to use a bag, how to mow without a bag. I could talk about mowing lawns all night for some reason, but uh, I had to watch my dad mow the lawn, and then he mowed the lawn with me, like it stood behind me with his hands on the handlebars and walked behind me. And then eventually at some point, he was like, go mow the front lawn. And I remember that moment when after I had started the lawnmower by myself and I'm holding the handlebars, and I had this like mix of terror and excitement because this meant that I was grown up. This meant that I was doing something. And also, like, I could cause a lot of damage with this machine. Um, I could hurt someone at worst, or, or I could just do a really bad job. I could just go all over the place in the lawn and make it look terrible. Or I could do what my dad taught me to do and, you know, make nice rows and make the lawn look nice. Uh, I think I had kind of a similar experience being able to drive a car for the first time without anyone in it, which most of you in the room have experienced that without, when that first time when you get to drive a car by yourself, there's that moment of uh, excitement and fear because again, this thing that you're responsible for could do a lot of damage, especially a car. Like you can end lives with this thing or you can, in my case, do what you're supposed to do and go to school and come home and everything will be fine. Uh, I, th I also had a similar, not quite a, the same as the first two, but a similar experience sitting in the office of a counselor, uh, I think when I was like 23, when I finally realized for the first time, like my life is my responsibility, like the quality of my life, the, um, my outlook on my life is, is my responsibility. No one's going to live my life for me. And so I could choose to continue, well, I could choose to do nothing and stagnate and uh, kind of waste my life. Or I could do what I had been doing, which was just kind of living into the um, effects of the chaos and darkness that I was producing in the world. Or I could choose to get healthy and to live the way that I wanted to, live a life that I'm proud of, live a life that I enjoy, and a life that hopefully can help spread healing to other people also. I think any time, though, that we're handed responsibility for something, there's this like question that we're confronted with, which is, what are you going to make of this? What are you going to do with this thing that you've been given? And I think that's the same question that we're confronted with 
in our story that we're looking at tonight, which is the story of Jesus's ascension. Um, I'm going to re read that for you, um, just the whole thing right off the bat, but there's a little bit of background info, a little bit of Bible info that you need to know to make this passage make some sense. Uh, so the, we're going to be reading the very first part of the book of Acts. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the four Gospels, which are all about Jesus' life. Then there's Acts. Acts is all about uh, the immediate aftermath of Jesus' life. So what happens after Jesus leaves, uh, it traces the formation of the first church and sort of Jesus' first followers. In addition to that, Luke, one of the Gospels, and Acts were written by the same person. So Acts is like a sequel to Luke, which is going to make sense in just a second. So this is Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And it goes like this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over 40, a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, he was eating with them, and he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my... Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid, them, hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So, you know, stop staring up into the sky and go do what he told you to do. This is the story of Jesus' ascension. So we, we're told that in this 40-day period after Jesus uh, comes back from the dead, he hangs out with his disciples, but it's sort of this interesting thing where he'll just kind of pop in and pop out. Like he'll just appear and spend some time with his disciples, and then he disappears. And I imagine that they go about their lives, and then he reappears, and they talk some more, and then he disappears. One of the times that he's appeared... They're eating together, and he says, hey, guys, don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will know what that means. Trust me. And for some reason, they then ask him, Jesus, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And if you've read the Gospels at all, you know that this is a question that they ask him over and over and over again. Jesus, are you finally starting the revolution? Are you finally going to overthrow the government and start the new reestablished kingdom of Israel? Which is totally understandable that they would ask this because for hundreds of years, the expectation was that when the Messiah came, this is what he was going to do. But every time they ask him, Jesus basically says no or doesn't answer them. And this time he says, stop asking the question. Like You're never going to get a satisfying answer to this question. You're never going to know when that's going to happen. 
It's not the point. Stop being distracted by it. What I'm trying to tell you about is the Holy Spirit. Stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And I have to imagine him, that when they ask him this again, he's sort of like, are you serious, guys? Like, we've been over this so many times. I've, I've died and I've come back to, to life and this is what you want to ask me. Like, can we just move on? And in fact, he, he, he's kind of so mad that he disappears. That's not actually what happens. He's not mad, but like, I just imagine him being so annoyed that they're still on this. And then after he says, just stay, stay here, you're going to get the Holy Spirit, and that's going to allow you to do the work that I've started all over the world. This little line is snuck in the story. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. What? Excuse me, what happened? I think sometimes we've heard things so much that it doesn't phase us, or we read, like, it's written here in the Bible just so nonchalantly, like, yeah, he just disappeared. He just floated up into the sky and a cloud hit him. And when we read that, we think, well, yeah, yeah, of course, what else would happen? But that's weird. Who saw this coming? Did you see this coming? Like, the the ending of Jesus' time on earth would be him, like, becoming a helium balloon and just floating up into the sky? It's nonsensical. It feels so random to me. Like, it feels so fantastical to me that it's actually, I've been trying to process why this is. It is so much harder for me to believe this story about the ascension than it is that Jesus came back from the dead. For some reason, someone coming back from the dead seems more reasonable to me than someone just in the middle of a conversation floating up in the sky. And so I've always really struggled with this story. But this year I've been thinking about because I knew that I was going to have to teach this this year, I've been thinking about the fact that the ascension actually had to happen. Something definitive like this had to happen. And I think that's true for a few reasons. The first is, as we, as we saw, after Jesus comes back from the dead, he sort of is just popping in and out with his friends. And so if he just kind of disappeared again, his friends would all be waiting around for him to come back, to reappear and talk with them again. He needed something to show, like, this is it. Something has changed. On on top of that, as we saw from their question, if he didn't do something definitive and obvious that things were changing and ending, he would constantly, there would be this constant distraction of, is this the time when you're going to start the revolution? Is this the time when you're going to establish a political kingdom? And so there had to be this definitive hinge point when Jesus handed over responsibility and then got out of the way. The ascension is the hinge point between uh, a Jesus being responsible for God's work of reconciliation and the church being responsible for it. So as Jesus pieces out, he sends out his followers to go continue to do his work in the world. They were handed at that moment, in the moment of the ascension, they are handed the responsibility. They're handed the keys to the car. And they had the question of, what are you going to make of this? Their answer to that question is that they decided to make this work, the work that Jesus gave them, their life purpose. And today, if we're willing to take that responsibility, this work is our purpose as part of the church. So this is the message of the ascension. It's time for us to take responsibility for the work of the church.
That's why there's this very definitive kind of strange like mic drop moment when Jesus is like, I'm out. Now it's your turn. In the ascension, in that hinge point, Jesus passes the baton. He, he hands responsibility to the church for his work of reconciliation, reconciling us to each other and us to God. And the ultimate sign of that reconciliation is him sending the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is often also called the advocate or the comforter or the helper. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to literally help us continue the work that he's giving us responsibility for. Uh, he's sending the Holy Spirit to bring a, a, sense of and a, pr- the, a sense of and the presence of Christ into every, everything, every moment, to be with us always, to guide us and to grow us. So it's time for us to take responsibility for the work of the church. But we don't do that alone, right? We have each other and also we have the Holy Spirit. Which means if we're going to take this responsibility seriously, we're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to need to learn how to recognize, how to work with the Holy Spirit, how to be open to hearing the voice of God, being open to moving and acting and changing being open to waiting on the Spirit of God when we need to. In short, we have to to grow spiritually. No one is going to do that for us. No one is going to develop you spiritually for you. That's your responsibility. So what are you going to make of it? I think you can decide that, that spiritual growth is just too daunting and too complicated and too weird, and you can do nothing. You can go the other way and choose to thwart your own growth by creating darkness and chaos in the world. Or you can choose to take up the responsibility that Jesus is handing you and handing us through this story. And you can choose to be a minister of reconciliation and an agent of light in the world. The responsibility is yours. What are you going to make of it? Around here, I think we want to take responsibility for the work of the church. We need to take responsibility for our spiritual development. Uh, Starting with our spiritual development, taking responsibility there is a way that we step into taking responsibility for the work of the church. It starts with us. And this is conveniently going to be our focus for the next series, spiritual development. We're going to be looking at, uh, over the course of a few weeks, we're going to be focusing on different spiritual practices for us to engage in as we begin to take responsibility for our spiritual development as a way of taking, beginning to take responsibility for the work of the church. But in the meantime, until next week, I have a couple of questions that I just want to close with that I hope that you spend some time thinking about this week in preparation for this next series and in preparation for taking greater responsibility over your spiritual development. Uh, If you're anything like me, these questions sound like things that you can just answer right off the bat, but I hope you spend some time with them because your off-the-bat answers probably aren't, well, I'll just speak for myself, mine weren't as deep or real as the truth is. So, some questions to be thinking about. The first is, where do you see the Spirit active in your life? Be honest about this. Like, the answer can be nowhere. But take some time to think about where can you see the Spirit, if you can, in your life. Where is the Holy Spirit noticeably absent in your life? In what area or areas do you want to grow? 
And then what are you going to make of this? What are you going to do about it? And if you come up with an answer to that last question, I would love to hear it. Maybe I'll have to come up with an answer for mine and share it with you. But this is what we're going to be talking about for the next, I don't know, through June at least. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about this idea of, of us being able to take responsibility for our own development. We only grow spiritually because of God, but like he doesn't force growth on us. It's up to us to engage that. It's up to us to grow. Will you pray with me? God, I'm always nervous about, but also really grateful for stories that make me uncomfortable. And God, I am grateful for... Um, I'm grateful for and confused by you trusting us with your work. But it's a high calling. And I hope it's one that uh, each of us feels a sense of being drawn to. God, I pray that we as a community would grow to be able to um, recognize your spirit among us, your spirit in our lives, and that we would take seriously the responsibility of uh, working alongside you and what you're still doing in the world. We love you, God. Amen.